welcome to the Woken Dead Show with Tom and Jeff. What are we doing here today, Jeff? Well, Tom, we've got some issues that we want to discuss about this week. Some big issues, huh? It's been a very big week for you and I. Well, and if if this week is any indication of what the rest of this year is going to be like, uh, I think we, you know, we've got our work cut out for us. My goodness, Tom, I thought last year was a long year, but 2020 month and a couple weeks in has felt like an eternity it's, it's felt like six months already it's, it's passed this year and it's still only february happy black history month everyone as well <laughs> so, happy black history month and so we're gonna be you know covering whatever we want to talk about we're going to talk about issues that are personal to us and issues that are big and complicated and I think to to get us started, uh, one of the questions I'm gonna you know sort of try to answer you know briefly. I'm not gonna spend too much time on this, and we're gonna move into a discussion segment. But the for, the question I wanted to answer for this week for myself is: Is America's healthcare system really exceptional? How different is it from the rest of the world? It does seem like it's going to be constantly debated throughout this election cycle and so it seems like something that maybe we should get some some numbers down because I feel like that'll help me orient and you know I think everyone knows American healthcare is expensive but is it really that different from the rest of the world and the conclusion I came to is yes <laughs> it is it is it is very different from the rest of the world we you know so here I'm just gonna kind of read some 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 rough numbers here um, you know, so we've got our population 30, 331 million. As a percentage of our GDP, we spend 17.7% is a recent estimate. Our life expectancy is 79. And the average out-of-pocket expense for a worker is between four dollars and $8,000. And this is just so you can kind of com- you know, get a, a comparison to the other countries. Uh, that we're gonna, that I'm going to kind of share uh, my research on, just to help us have a kind of point of reference mm-hmm. for, for for this for this year. So, so one you know one of the countries is regularly referred to uh, as Sweden. They have a great healthcare system, but they have a very small population. Um, so, as a percentage of their GDP, they spend eleven percent. They have a higher life expectancy than, than us of 83. You're not going to ex- be expected to spend any out-of-pocket. There may be out-of-pocket expenses for, uh, for procedures that aren't covered, like chiropractic or, or dental care. Um, you know, it depends on the country. Um, but, but most of these countries that we're going to discuss, they're going to cover you if you've got a surgery, if you've got an emergency. You're not going to pay a, you know, a dime. Um, for, for those procedures. Um, a country that's maybe more like America in terms of population, uh, that's kind of, you know, like the, the, the A-plus student in the room, is Japan. And they have a population of 126 million, and they spend 9% of their GDP, and they have a higher life expectancy than Sweden of 84. And over there, the most you could ever expect to pay, if you're a wealthy person, is about 500 bucks a year and and also they have maybe the the best infant mortality or 
best. <laughs> um, the 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 highest grade of of uh, infant mortality at, at like an A plus is is what the, they you would grade them um, compared to the rest of the world. Um, so yeah, uh, that you know that's that's just a couple countries. Uh, you know, then we could maybe talk about our neighbor Canada, uh, maybe more like us in terms of uh, geography, uh, but still smaller population, only thirty seven million people. They spend ten and a half percent of their GDP on healthcare, and their life expectancy is eighty two. Again. You're not going to be expected to spend that much, but I did read a statistic that said that in Canada, um, you can expect to spend about, you know, maybe the average Canadian will end up spending between 800,000 a year, um, which is still significantly less than America. They have uh, infant an infant mortality grade of, uh, of a, like a C plus, so 79%. Um, I'm grading on a scale based on you know, kind of like every country in the world and their infant mortality rate. Yeah. So tell me, Tom, when you say 17% GDP, like what reasons do you feel do we spend so much in GDP costs compared to these other countries? And 4 to 8K mm. is a lot um, for an individual. Um, is this based off a of family or individual? Or that's That's the average, from what I read, that is... The average that a, an American worker will expect to spend in a, in a year on premiums, out-of-pocket expenses. So certain areas, may, you know, certain areas, certain income brackets, they're spending more. But but that's supposed to be somewhere in the median. And what makes what why what what makes our healthcare system so much more expensive? The closest on this list is France, and they spend eleven point five percent of their GDP. Still six percent more than them, which is not an insignificant amount, and uh, for for lesser outcomes. Um, but the thing that makes us so unique uh, is that we use mostly private insurance. Now, all of these other countries, they also have some kind of guaranteed government, or or it, with a couple of exceptions. So one example is Chile. And they actually they're the they're the kind of sort of second highest user of private insurance to complement their government coverage. Uh, so we use a much higher percentage, uh, maybe about seventy percent, eighty percent of our health coverage comes from private. The, theirs is maybe twenty to thirty percent of their coverage comes from from private. So and they're the next highest below us. So. Um, this is not a common thing throughout the world. Uh, private health insurance is something that I saw mo a lot of countries have. Like, it's it's everywhere. It's in France. It's in Spain. It's in Japan. But people don't necessarily use these services unless there's some reason to. Um, most people are just being covered by their public insurers. One One country that's kind of on the rise is maybe kind of like if you want to have a sort of a control group, Indonesia is the country closest to America in terms of population, 273 million people, but they spend way less than, than any other country on this list. They spend 3% of their GDP, and they have a much lower life expectancy of 71. They are working towards universal health coverage. They do, they, they do not have it yet, 
but uh, that is that that is where they are transitioning to and uh, they they also have a failing infant mortality rate so yeah that's kind of like the the spectrum that i covered just running through that list again so usa sweden japan canada chile brazil and indonesia and there are a few more that that uh, i added to this list uh, france spain italy and singapore which are all exemplary yeah, uh, countries. absolutely. Because, you know, seeing these countries, we, we hear the argument all the time about government-run health insurance means lower quality of care. And if you pay for private insurance, you will receive higher quality care. But the issue is affordability. So even in the United States, if we have the greatest hospitals in the world, if you can't afford to go to them, it really doesn't serve any purpose for those who can't afford to go. And looking at these countries and seeing that government-run insurance still has grades of A and um, doesn't cost as much because that's another factor we hear a lot. Oh, we let the government run anything. It's going to cost us trillions of dollars for the next Trillion years. Yeah. Um, we never have enough money for uh, the working class person, seems like. So uh, for me to see some of these numbers kind of dispel some of those myths of what health insurance could look like. Um, even some of these countries have coexisting private insurance. Does that correlate to better service? It seems like the average person just wants service that doesn't leave them bankrupt. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm not really quick to trust the people who say that an aspirin costs a hundred dollars when they're putting the price tag on any kind of government run health health program because you know everybody's going to be misconstruing what Medicare for all. I've I've seen this several times mislabeling Medicare for all as an increase in the amount of money that the average American is going to spend. Because that's not the case. Because if you're not paying for premiums, then the tax, you know, any, any increase in taxes is still going to be less than what you're spending on premiums and co-pays and deductibles and out of other out-of-pocket. So this is just a massive deception right. about this, this program that, you know, like Medicare is hugely popular. And that is why it's being touted as the best solution for America is to just expand it to cover everyone. I agree. And, and, you know, we just put things in context. We talk about, let's talk about the VA. The VA, you know, it's not perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect uh, government program for health insurance anyway. But the, the VA does provide service. You may have to wait a little bit. You may have to travel a little bit, but they've done a, a really good job over the past five to seven years of reaching their veterans and building programs. I think most of us may have families, members who experience uh, something that was taboo maybe even 25 years ago that was called PTSD. Mm. And the government and the VA has actually came to the conclusion like we need to address this issue and provide services for veterans because some things are just not physical. There's a lot of mental aspects, mental components. Um, that's another component that is being missed out in our healthcare overall, overall yeah. is mental health. Um, 
even in Texas, they don't they don't have any mental health facilities anymore because they shut them all down. And, Thanks, Ronald Reagan. Right. So we are faced with individuals struggling with mental health, and then you build on top of that with homelessness and potential drug abuse um, and just abuse overall from just being vulnerable out in the streets. So, so it's a whole can of worms. And it, and so, you know, I, I, I threw out a lot of numbers. And, uh, you know, so hopefully that wasn't overwhelming to, to our listeners. I feel like I answered my question, which is, you know, is America an exception or the rule? And, mm-hmm. and it is definitely the exception. Yeah. Jeff, what, quest, what question next week would you like to answer? The question next week that I would like to answer, to build upon this American exceptionalism that we have, I would like to focus on, do we work a lot more than the rest of the world? Mm, Our mm -hmm. culture is built upon work. Why? Why do we work so much more? I would be interested to hear about that. I'm very interested because we have, especially the past five years, a hustle culture that's been created Hmm. and is, is driving some insane because they are learning that they're not hustlers Mm, yeah we're not all built for hustle culture huh yeah the whole entrepreneurship and it being uh the path to freedom the american dream not everyone is built like that and not everyone is built to work in an office either Mm -hmm. uh the way we do so i would like to touch on that compare somewhat what you did tonight to other countries to figure out why why do we do all this work and really don't get the benefits of spending family time or mm-hmm. quality time or working on things like mental health. Maybe that's something that falls into the healthcare category still a little bit yeah. where maybe they have more time to just take care of themselves as opposed yeah. to going through the whole grind of life. Well, I'll be looking forward to hearing about that next week, Jeff. Yeah. That'll uh, be a great transition into our next segment where we're just going to chat about the events of the the week. All the hot topics of this week. (laughs) I'm just going to roll with it, Jeff. Let's just roll with this. That's my favorite part. (laughs) Are we recording right now? Oh, yeah, we're recording. Well, welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back. It's good to have you here. So, Tom, we're just going to discuss a little bit about the wild week we had. Yeah, we are in an upcoming election cycle, and things started off rocky this week in Iowa. Yeah, like why would we start a podcast this week? This is the most complicated week. <laughs> why are we even talking about year, politics? I mean, this politics. year, this year has just been crazy. But yeah, so on Monday was the Iowa caucus. Jeff, what's your takeaway from the Iowa caucus? A hot steaming pile of rat poop <laughs> steaming fresh i don't know if rat poop can steam but it was this was the messiest thing i knew iowa was always messy from the last time we watched with the flipping of the coins and weirdness but i did not realize now that we live in this pure information uh, a time where we can access any kind of information that we need to at any point at any point what really happened with the caucuses having zero i mean zero reporting at the mm-hmm. end of the night 
right. everyone's cast their vote. Well, it was the, it was the app because they were all depending on the app to deliver those results and the app screwed up and so they all had to default to the backup plan, which is to call in. And so they they didn't staff the backup plan. Almost seems like, you know, maybe... The, I don't know. I don't want to get all conspiracy, but uh, put on my tinfoil hat for a second here and just point out like, hey, you know, the backup plan wasn't adequately staffed. Seems like you kind of put all your eggs in this one basket, this one shadowy uh, basket. Well, it's very shadowy at that because we've got, I've got tons of app on my phones and it completely like works. I can order a Grubhub. And I can get ice cream, I can get liquor, I can get all my transactions done, I can buy stocks and trades through apps. But you mean to tell me I cannot get an app to work for me to vote properly? Well, here, so and you want to try it in Iowa, of all places? Like, that's right. not Silicon Valley. All the, like You just want to roll this out and say, whoa. Well, fun knows. fact about this app, it was partly at least developed right here in denver colorado oh, oh, and I, and that is not a good thing <laughs> we are not silicon valley not yet anyways not yet. um yeah this this uh i mean th- this just this this was just a a a failure of a company to do the most basic testing of their product to test it at scale to make sure that I don't know, maybe the most important, the opening day of the most important election in our lifetimes so far. You know, not exaggerating. Like, who 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 said it on the debate? Like, that he, that Donald Trump is not just someone we must defeat. He is a threat to the human species. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is, this, this, I see these failures as not just being... You know, oops, like, oh, we didn't staff our testing people uh, appropriately. Darn, we'll get it right, you know, four years from now. Um, this this is, this feels deliberate. This feels like, I mean, the the fact that, the, you know, Pete Buttigieg is one of the primary investors in this company um, or, or purchased, purchased the most services from this company. Um, and is so intertwined with this company, and was the main beneficiary of this fuckery. That just stinks to high heaven. <laughs> I did not know of Mayor Pete being a serious contender until the Shadow app got involved. Uh, I thought he was just the bottom hanging around and potentially about to, about to drop out of the race, in fact. And all of a sudden... Through some investments and some shaking hands, I guess that lofty dinner that he had in the mm. cave. Oh, the, the wine cave. The right. wine cave. Right. That's what it was. It ended up paying off with the golden chandeliers and the golden charger plates and the fancy wine. Um, I think this all really fits in well with, with the, the name of this company being Shadow. Right. Right. Because it... It sounds like they have locations in not only Boston and Denver, but also beneath a volcano. <laughs> Maybe, you know, you, I, I remember watching years ago, uh, Bohemian Grove parties. And I do the not Alex want to Jones. say that guy's name because we don't 
have any association with that guy. But, you know, we now know some of these weird kind of things kind of happen. Well, well, so that was that was uh, him accompanying was it Ron Johnson in, when he was writing his book about extremists, them, right? That was the book where he goes with Alex Jones before he was famous to the Bilderberg's party in the forest. And like yes. they had come and and this is just like such a an origin story of that guy. It's just that 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 Ron Johnson, the author, and I and I always forget if it's John Ronson or Ron Johnson, but the British author of them and he I'm a big fan of his, except that I forget his name. But they had completely different takeaways from this stupid party in the woods with all these rich people. It's like Was it just old dudes banging each other? I mean what, what I, I, it was you know, it was it was uh it seemed very decadent and you should read it. It's a great book. It's an excellent book. It's called Them and it's all about extremists. So you can hear about the Ruby Ridge guy and um you know if if you want to uh, get into that those those weeds but um he, he he just really tells great stories and um uh also also by him the psychopath test big fan of that book mm. um, what is that book about well so that is a book where he looks at the dsm psychopath test and goes down the list and kind of like it you know examines who who psychopaths are and 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 what about this test um, helps us determine psychopathy? And one of the weird, you know, one of the, the the crazy things I discovered in that book was that like a not insignificant percentage of American CEOs like score very highly on the psychopath test or are, are determined to be by this test psychopath. Um, kind of makes sense. <laughs> It's a psychopath <laughs> game that we play yeah, yeah, in I that mean, arena. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's not a job I would want to do. No, it takes a unique person to be driven. <laughs> uh, you know, just even thinking about that, reading DSMs, uh, you know, you, you can be really down on yourself reading those DSM because you would think that everyone's crazy. The way they add on amendments to the DSMs, fours, five, six, or whatever we're on now, it is completely nuts. And I really think the way uh, we look at some of these presidential candidates in their leadership roles, mm. it just seems like they're talking heads. Mm. And if we apply the DSM-4 to them, which is one of the hardest things to do is to tell what kind of personality disorder someone has, I believe most of them have some severe personality disorders that um, looking at them on the debate stage is just like, what is wrong with uh, Amy? Why does she talk so down and jaded? Elizabeth is just shaking her head. Mayor Pete, he just says absolutely nothing that resonates. Let's, let's say something good about everyone on the stage, because I think... I mean, personally, I feel like they all have something good to say. They all have something to offer, and they are all going to be better than Donald Trump. We can agree on that, right? But in a psychopath's world, um, <laughs> like, do you actually look more electable as being the same one, or 
one that's just as crazy as ever. I mean, politicians are a self-selecting breed of person, right? They are a unique kind of human being. So, like, they're going to be a bit psycho. They're going to be a little bit egotistical. They have to be. They kind of have to be a little bit egomaniac, you know, of an egomaniac to say, yeah, I should rule the whole world, basically. Like, I should be in the seat of power in the most powerful military in human history. Um, and, th- and that's really what it's about. It's like, we need to get this crazy person away from the most powerful military in human history. Um, hopefully they are also keeping him away from the, the, the people who are actually running it. But this crazy person has his grips on a large portion of United States um, citizens. And I don't get, you know, after seeing the State of the Union that he performed in this week, he touted a lot. He's had a big week, Tom. Um, uh, Before we get into the State of the Union, because I, I do think that he, he is not practicing politics as usual, right? Like, and that's something Mayor, Mayor well, I mean, he's not really a mayor anymore, is he? No. Pete said, I guess that's what he um, Pete said, you know, that we need a different kind of politics. Do you feel like this Iowa caucus, just to kind of wrap up that, do you feel like that was, poli- you know, him practicing a different kind of politics? <laughs> or, or is this just more politics as usual? I think this is politics as usual. And I think the Democratic Party has some huge decisions to make on which direction they want to go into because they have an old establishment head in the name of Joe Biden who um, he just talks about how he was there. But, you know, I, I, we really don't see the benefits of him moving the party forward. And mm. then we have... A, you mean in Iowa he said he was there? Or, or Joe or? Biden just says he's been there to sign and oversee a lot of bills and oh, right. a lot he's of got committees. Experience. I got experience to lead. And I've, I was, literally, I've been there. Yeah, yeah. I watched. I didn't do anything, but I was there. I was there, <laughs> and Obama kept me in check the whole time. And, you know, not to disrespect what he has done, because pushing things through government is probably difficult when you have a lot of people with their own personal interests and lobbyists and uh, your constituents are probably the least of your concerns. So I think Joe Biden had had he had a place in time, but I think right now that time is no more. So I agree with Mayor Pete or Pete uh, at this point when he says we should no longer move, look back, we should move forward, but I don't think we should look forward to pete either because he seems like he's just a version remember terminator they have these new terminators that come back from the future and it just gets stronger and stronger and you have to t2000 yeah with the liquid the liquid metal that's what terminator he's He's just liquid liquid metal metal. he's just (laughs) upgraded model to go up and screw up the timeline of history and everything else does seem like he was made in the lab like his, I mean, he is very eloquent. He is just a little older than me. I mean, like, you know, we're young people. I, he, as a kid who was, you know, spent his time, you know, growing up on military bases as a kid, like, like I want to sympathize with him, but I, 
I don't know. I feel like he's leaning into that military stuff too hard. I I really like Tulsi's takeaway on her time in the military. Yeah, like, but the Tulsi but, on the debate stage. I mean, you know, she's she's been sent sent to the underground volcano lair. She's yeah, right. <laughs> she's tied up, locked up because she didn't accept the money. I guess. I guess she's yeah. That she can't she can't rule. Um, so so yeah so so going back to Biden. I mean. Finishing fourth, that was kind of surprising. I was, I was thinking he was going to be the, the person they tried to say won. <laughs> I think Biden is not the same candidate as he was, and to say, wait for him in South Carolina, where sixty uh, percent of the vote is Black Americans, uh, that he will win. Mm, is I a think that's huge, a little overconfident. That's very overconfident because that's that's a, a, a segment of the population that hasn't reaped any of the rewards. Uh, Black Lives Matter and police brutality uh, really highlighted Obama's uh, presidency, and mm. there was nothing that you know there was there was you know Trump. You hear him now say African American unemployment unemployment is the lowest it's ever been, mm-hmm. and, and and it was one of the highest that it was under Obama. So there's some not. You know, we know well, Trump passed numbers, which right, every but, politician passed numbers. But who but, did that work? Who did that work to get those numbers down to where they are today? Does this stuff happen in a day? Like, really? Or in a year, even? Like, really? Like, does it happen? And when we look at it, Tom, they have no wealth, which Tom brought up. Steyer I mean, all, all Barack Obama could take credit for was inheriting a housing crisis, you know, and a you know, a near financial collapse and uh, the having to bail out the audio indus- auto industry. That's that's the things that he inherited. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I think Obama did his part. I, I mean, really, and 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 I, I think this is. I agree with some of the sentiment that the like Democrats don't necessarily celebrate their or or broadcast their successes enough because. And it doesn't necessarily feel like a success to not drive your car off into the ditch, right? Mm-hmm. To just, like, you know, oh, somebody fell asleep at the wheel and we, you know, we, we got them out of the driver's seat and we we, we, we steered us back onto the highway. <laughs> uh, but but it but it's just like, okay, we, we just didn't die. That's really all we were celebrating. It doesn't feel like so much of an accomplishment, even if it is. Compared to the rest of the world, maybe, we're, we're doing right. better. And, well, we also had a big accomplishment of electing our first black president. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... And we all thought he was going to die. Well, yeah. <laughs> at, least for, at, at least at first. At first, but, you know, when you put things in perspective, he carried on a lot of the Bush policies. So... And I and I just don't I don't think he wanted to ruffle any feathers. You know, I, I think, think that's he, a big difference. I think he um he probably could have ruffled more feathers because um the opposition just had no respect for him and, and you know, just no patience for him to, to try to build any kind of bipartisan coalition. There, the you know the night of his inauguration, they were in a smoke-filled chamber talking about how they're gonna take take their country back. <laughs> like, yeah, who took it away? So I, I, I don't understand. Like, the city, they did. 
from the Native Americans. Right. Uh, it just it just baffles me how this deep seated hate uh, still rules, even though everyone's like, no, 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 I'm not that person. But you know, I'm a big proponent of don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. Mm-hmm. And for eight years, you know, I'm not an Obama supporter. I must say. Um, for eight years, they gave that dude a very hard time, and he was very much an establishment dude um, and president that catered to their demographics. Uh, he didn't cut their taxes as much, but I mean, he still. I mean, if the if the president of the United States isn't establishment, Jeff. <laughs> What is? No, it's the head of a corporation. I mean, right? Like to me, that's the most establishment position in the world is to be the president of the United States. Um, and he was, you know, I think we were, we had really high hopes that he was going to be anti-establishment as the and also the first black president um, at the same time. And that I think that was a, kind of a tall order. He ran on hope, Tom. It's, it's and change and change and what do we get um well and and he ran against people who wanted to defy that promise at every turn and you know maybe if he had been less audacious and he had you know kind of been more moderate middle of the road um you know but there was no way he was going to be elected as a moderate middle of the road black guy um like he had to get people on his side to even get elected so you know maybe he was in a between a rock and a hard place i still feel like um he you know they 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 aim, aim to sabotage him from the day he walked in the door I agree and with so that. i just don't feel that this is just a even a fair conversation really because he didn't inherit this, you know, supposedly amazing economy. Um, he, he met an economy that was on the brink of collapse. Yes, he And did. he had to do damage control. And he didn't, you know, there wasn't going to be time for reparations discussions and for him to push, you know, the things that maybe the black community was hoping they might have someone just say officially. Like, like to bring up in an official context I'm guessing that was one of the things that the black community might have been hoping for I, 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 you know and I will say Tom you're very kind to Obama <laughs> we are well, in some tough times during that I do period keep, I do keep his cup on my desk okay alright and you know my parents has his picture hanging up all over the walls upstairs in the house as well because it was a big monumental moment and and no but, one knew that but, this would ever happen. But this cup that I'm holding right now is special. I bought this in 2012, and I bought this because on the back of it, it has his birth certificate. Oh, and here we are. And here we are. With the guy who led that. We're, we're going to talk about the guy who introduced this topic or popularized this topic in America and his recent state of the union address so oh jeff goodness. you watched this thing i can't watch i know his I, speeches i have to watch i'm it. with i'm with aoc it is not worth my time i have to watch the lies that spew out of this man's mouth because it's unbelievable to see his following 
because they haven't done he hasn't done anything for anyone except for continuing to pad the numbers as I mentioned earlier. Well, he's done things for rich people, <laughs> like giving them tax cuts and cuts to corporate taxes. Yeah, but which other than that, disproportionately favors rich people. And it seems like a horror movie we already witnessed before where this trickle down stuff never really happens because we see the retail apocalypse as happening with retail store closing, claiming mm-hmm. bankruptcy, mm-hmm. Um, you know, malls dying. Yeah, we had a local grocery store, Lucky's, Lucky's Market just shut down all their stores randomly and abruptly. And they're just out. So you see these companies starting to hoard their money and get away from the overhead. And, and you know, who loses out on all that? The workers. They they have to go out and find new jobs all of a sudden to take care of their families. They have no health care, which you brought up, uh, uh, talked about earlier today. Mm-hmm. Like anything that happens could be catastrophic to the individuals in these scenarios that used to work. In these places, and you know, these places don't pay enough. They pay just barely something, but they don't pay enough, which is another reason why I feel, you know, this jobs number he's touting doesn't make sense because everyone can have jobs, but they're not jobs to keep up with the inflation of how much it costs to just live in the United States of America now. So some of these things just more expensive. It's more expensive. Housing, healthcare. Education, child care, child care, food, probably. You know, it's just like they just America raised its prices, uh, and that's that seems to be their their solution. But for, you got a job. Yeah, you have a job that you you know if you want to live, you have to work sixty hours of that job. Right. Um, I mean, some. or you have to have two jobs, and that's no fun. Yeah, which most people do now. So, right, they got their main job, and they they drive Uber in the evening, or they've got some kind of side hustle. They're selling some kind of pyramid scheme thing at home. Whatever, yeah. As long as it put puts food on the table, that's all that matters. Because I, you know, it was several times, even when I've moved out of my home, my rent for my first apartment was three hundred fifty dollars, and like. Now that that's unheard of. Yeah. There's no way you can be able to do that. Um, probably even older people, you know, can work and live and go to school and have time to actually play around on top of all that and not feel like they're not able to make their rent for that month. So yeah, I I, I heard or read somewhere that Denver was rated as one of the least affordable cities in America for a millennial. And when I when I moved here, yeah, my first apartment was four hundred bucks, uh, four hundred bucks a month for a crappy little studio that, you know, had roaches and <laughs> plex- streets, ple- plexiglass windows. No, it was it was fine. It was mine. Um, but yeah, like there's no way you would find that in in this city today. No, um, I don't know if you will find that in any city. I mean, maybe if you want to live with like. Four other people in a house, you can get a room for that, but um, <laughs> you're not going to have privacy. You're not going to have your own bathroom. Right. Um, you're not going to have your own cooking space. Um, and I can hear people arguing, well, if you have to live with four other people, you have to live with four other people. 
But if you work full time and you have learned a skill in a trade, you should be able to take care of yourself. And, um, you know, the American dream used to be buying a house. Now it seems like the American dream is just living on your own. So without any roommates, that's what kind of situation we've got ourselves into. So, I mean, just to hear Trump talk about a lot of the jobs and what he's touted and, you know, him being not impeached. Maybe he's impeached, but not officially impeached. He's impeached. He's never going to be not impeached. But, um, yeah, he is now acquitted of of, uh, all crimes, you know, whatever. It it we we all knew this was gonna happen. Um, I'm surprised he didn't uh, celebrate that. Didn't do victory lap at the State of the Union. Well, I think he held back. Do you do you want to talk about that more? Because you actually you 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 forced yourself to watch it. I don't don't know. And 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 I mean just the 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 placate or the the BS (laughs) like tried to try to. gain black support or to just say, hey, I'm not a racist. I've got a black friend or, you know, whatever it is he's trying to do with that family. And We all know Trump's a racist. Uh, it's not, I don't care how many black friends he has. Uh, we just feel sad for those black is, friends. Is he a racist or is he, is he worse than that and that he just uses racism as a weapon? And he just has like, he is so nihilistic and doesn't actually care about anything. Because um, at least a racist maybe cares about something. Maybe they're just ignorant. But, but it seems like Trump just is so cynical that like he goes beyond racism to just like kind of use it as a a tool to 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 divide people for uh, his own for his own benefit. I think that's a good evaluation, Tom. Because to just to say he's a racist doesn't do its service for doesn't, him. I just don't think it goes far enough. <laughs> I think Trump's in it for Trump. And that's true. Know, yeah, he's in it to win it. I mean, maybe that's more to his credit. It's just like you know, like him being selfish makes him less terrible. I don't know because um, I feel like that's something I can relate to. We're all selfish sometimes, but um, he's just he's like a, a Jedi of selfishness. Yeah, he's a master on a Jedi council that we've never heard of of being uh, a crazy mob gambling weird leader that doesn't care about anything or anyone except for his cause i don't even know if he cares about his cause anymore i think he just wants to look tough and at the end of the day you know watching that state of union and seeing the tuskegee airmen beside uh rush limbaugh which rush limbaugh okay (sighs) he's he's sick now i i don't wish sickness on anyone but Rush Limbaugh has been a horrible voice in the conservative party because he's a terrible years. person he's a terrible person it makes he's, no sense. he's a terrible person who who I mean he already lied about like didn't he lie about opioids and downplayed the 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 problems with opioids and then revealed that he was addicted to opioids yes so this has already happened he's already you know, done harm to his body. I mean, like, you just think about the amount of chemicals that this man must pump into his brain to maintain the mental gymnastics, to be the just lying sack of shit void of humanity 
the, the, <laughs> sorry, pardon my French. Well, no, I mean, it kind of fits for this guy because I, I mean, okay, he, he makes some points that are different. But the points that he makes are outdated and really go back to a time where uh, there was enslavement and white supremacy reigned all over the place uh, freely, openly, and with no regard to anyone else. And he feels like, it feels like he has been that voice for so long to see him awarded and next to a Tuskegee Airman, which are like the most I mean, toughest just, guys in just, that time. It just sounds like such a troll. I mean, like it does does it does it feel that way to you? It just feels like like he's. I mean, because that's what it seems like. Everything he does, like it's just like, oh, I just want to piss people off, or yeah. I just want to piss off my enemies, um, and, and it, you know. <laughs> I feel this so was I an insult. To, if I have to give a presidential medal of freedom next to a Tuskegee Airman instead of the Tuskegee Airman, I'm going to give it to this this troll. I mean, like, Russ is that? Like, like I grew up listening to Rush, like in my dad's car, on occasion. <laughs> um, Lucky you. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know, <laughs> um, but. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. I mean. Yeah, I don't get it either because, you know, when you sit back and you look at us, we're behind the mics right now. And to hear that Rush Limbaugh has 30 million viewers that tune into this guy on a day-to-day basis, his influence and power has such a far reach yeah. compared to everyone else that's reasonably behind a mic like you and I to be able to discuss uh, issues on any topic without choosing a team even per se to cheer on we have zero listeners but we, he has 30 million listeners is it is it what is it the fear-mongering that we look for from this guy is it the the the, the radical movement that we we don't need to take any lessons from him i mean like i just i haven't heard his show in forever so i just don't like think about him i don't think about his show i just know he's a jerk and a troll and it 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 seems like he's willing to say the things that nobody else is willing to say like he's sort of uh i think he probably sees himself as some kind of howard stern character and on the right that he's willing to you know ruffle feathers and upset people for what he probably believes is the truth or or he has deluded himself so thoroughly that it is the truth and there is no distinction and i feel like that's kind of the world we're living in is not only can you choose to craft your own reality and live inside of it um that a lot of people are doing that and people in prominent positions of power, people I would expect to occasionally try to step outside of those bubbles. But I think Rush is being paid to stay in the bubble. He, he is, he's, you know, if he ever stepped out and said, you know what guys, I just, all this hate, all this anger I've been, you know, these crazy theories, 
I, I got to take a step back from this and I just got to apologize because I've just been misleading you this whole time. The, the likelihood of that ever happening <laughs> between zero and none. Yeah, I agree. I, I You know what? I wish and hope for the best of Rush. Um, but I, you know, to have his huge following, uh, I question, is he truly saying what America can't say or doesn't feel they can say Americans can say whatever the fuck they want like that's they what I thought they don't need him to say this shit for them but I think some people just you know like the the brand of hatred that he's selling is the kind of thing that'll get you fired probably mm-hmm. and he's taking that concept and running with it and 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 you know just you know like I'm gonna be the guy who says everything that upsets HR or whatever I don't know and he can do that and he's made a career out of it and you know I you know I, I just witnessing that and along with the, the rest of the the subtle tokenisms of Trump putting on display the other gentleman who was previously incarcerated uh, being able to have a second chance I like those stories those stories are not as pretty as Trump made it out to be it, it was really like watching a TV show uh, on the State of the Union. And, and, you know, the girl that got the scholarship, all these people that he had, these black people that just all of a sudden became his friends that he just pulled out of the woodworks and say, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. got them over here, which, you know, at the end of the day, I know there's Blexit and a lot of other things going on. But um, tr- no, one, no one of color really trusts Trump. The last time I had put any kind of test to it, you know, I don't know if he has the only a overwhelming who, support from people of color and minorities. I mean, a, a, they're out there. I see them standing behind him on the stage. He definitely wants them to be in the shot with him. You know, when he goes to his crazy rallies, in a way, I'm just like, I guess. Go America's melting pot, <laughs> kind of, because I'm like, you know, I guess you know it takes a village or something. So you know, like, I'm, I'm, for me to for me to say no, I I, I only want to see white people on the Republican side is 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 against the point of multiculturalism. Um, I just don't get it. I don't get it either. <laughs> I mean, if he wins again, maybe Mitt Romney, but he—I mean, Mitt Rom—I mean, uh, yeah. Oh, mittens! Oh, mittens! Breaking away from his own party, you it's, know. It's above my pay grade. Um, but so, <laughs> I agree. So, uh, how about how about those debates, though? Um, did you watch those? I did watch the Democratic debates. I've got my hands. Full of politics this week. This was a busy week, yeah. So, and, so I just, you know, um, I feel like we've we've covered quite a bit in this in this episode. But was there any kind of like takeaways from the debates? I I really liked the debate. Uh, it I felt was like really it, good. Um, it felt more positive. It felt like people were getting heard. I feel like I would have liked to hear more from Andrew Yang. Um, yeah. I I was very impressed with Tom Steyer. Um, Tom was pumped. 
yeah, Tom was on fire. I still don't, I don't know where the hell he came from, and I don't know what his qualifications are. And No climbing changes on his um, top list after last night, though. I I don't know if he's going to be Donald Trump, but um, I would be happy with Tom Steyer as president. I would be fine with that. Yeah, I think Tom's presence was not to say I should be president, but to call everyone else that wants to be president out on the stage. Um, it was kind of, you know, the, the, <laughs> the moderators, and you know, to go back, I thought the debate was great because it was better than the other debates that we saw that was so horrible. Maybe they just set us up to like... It just felt like they were, you know, it felt like energized. Everybody was on message and, you know, focused on the goal, which is to take down Trump. That's, that is our mission. Yeah. And, you know, I completely agree with that. But, but but right now we are in a primary. This is the time to choose. We're going to defeat Trump later. Right now we got to pick the pers- the best person for the job. And is the job that we want right now to fill, the position that we're looking to fill, is that person who can defeat Donald Trump? Or is it person who can lead America? Both? Uh, can they come in the same package? Um, you know... Are they mutually exclusive? I, I completely agree, Tom. I think the, one of the reasons why you see low voter turnout is because it doesn't matter, really. I mean, we can take Trump out. Mm. We may not have the boisterous voice. I heard, I heard that activities. argument about, like, maybe that's why Iowa had a lower turnout is because there are some people who are apathetic in that they just don't care who it is that we nominate. They're going to vote for whoever. They don't. They're they're equally fed up with Donald Trump, and sometimes you just gotta vote for somebody you don't like just because it's you know even though. Or just don't vote. I mean, I I'm always gonna say, at least vote for the lesser evil because I feel like, right now, even though yeah, um, it's tough. Call. It's tough. I'm like, would I would I be happier right now if it, we were talking about Hillary Hillary Clinton, the the current president you know who's facing re-election like yeah i feel like we wouldn't even have this podcast if it was hillary clinton (laughs) oh we would i mean (laughs) we would we would be complaining about other things but maybe we wouldn't feel the need to formalize it in a podcast (laughs) well you know hillary strikes me in a certain kind of way too i don't want to i mean if her machinations with the pete Buttigieg camp um, are any indicate? I mean, she just really hates Bernie Sanders, like just with a fiery passion. Like we think that Donald Trump hates black people, but Donald Trump doesn't say half of the shit that black people that Hillary says about Bernie. She just said nobody likes him. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Isn't like, your really? party trying to beat Donald Trump? Like so, he has I, he has like more donors than any other candidate in history. Like, he is making more money from more individual contributors, more small donors, than any candidate ever. He's doing it without corporations. Um, he, I, I, don't, I don't understand how you could say that, that, that nobody likes him. Obviously, people like him. Um, Attack him for his policies. Tell us why what he's doing is bad for America. Tell us why nobody likes him. If you really, you know, what is it about his character that drives so many people away? Like those, like, what was it, 30,000 people in 
in the, in New York that gathered for that that rally with AOC, mm-hmm. and they had like a crowd that was too big for the venue that they had allocated. Like those people seem to like him. Yeah, um, I think a lot of he's been in his position for a very long time, and um, well, and consistent during that, and now. consistent. You know, so I was going to say so. Someone likes him, but I thought about Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and all these other long-time Republicans, and I was like, well, maybe not everyone but, likes but him. But they are team players, and that's the thing that, that makes Bernie the, the outlier is that he is the independent. And I think that's what really upsets her is that he doesn't have that so too. He doesn't have that D in front of his name. I think so as well. And, and But, I, I mean, as, a, as somebody who spent most of his life in Colorado, which is a very kind of libertarian, independent pick yourself up by your own bootstraps bullshit kind of place um a guy who can stand alone and stick by stick to his his values for that long in a corrupting system like the united states government (laughs) like you know um i mean yeah he's just the senator from vermont and and you know uh maybe vermont isn't the best representative of america but um I don't know. He seems like an exceptional opportunity for America. I feel like we're going to get plenty more Pete Buttigieg's and Amy Klobuchar's. Oh, and, yeah. Um, the, 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 they will always be there. There's always going to be a Michael Bloomberg who's going to say, I have more money than sense. Yes. And lots of opinions and everyone should pay attention to me. I'm going to be a part of this, this, this race this year. There's always going to be one of those. But there's not always going to be a Bernie Sanders. There's not going to be a senator who was the only person on the right side of history in certain in certain respects, like with the Iraq War. Like, like no one else can say, hey, I voted against all that shit that is ruining our country today. Yeah, because we have this military-industrial complex yeah. and the infiltration Don't get of- me started. I know, I'm trying not to, but I mean, these, these, these rabbit holes that we go into that impact what someone does, yes or no. And, you know, we, you know, I always go back to Game of Thrones when, you know, everyone's angry about the last season, I get it, but there was As a they moment. Should be. They should be. I know, it was yeah. horrible. The writers messed it all up. But, you know, that moment when Daenerys was on that dragon resonated with me mm. because it was a choice that when she's she... like sitting waiting outside of king's landing and she's contemplating like right like do i save these people or do i torch them right and 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 what rushing that season denied us was any idea what went on in her head uh the inner monologue the things we the justifications we needed for that decision but bringing that back to our present moment i know the 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 point is that thank you tom was to really kind of reiterate if you're on the top of that dragon or if you're in that driver's seat it's easy to sit on the sideline to critique everyone to say what you would or would not do Mm. but to actually put yourself in that position and be in that moment Mm. Uh, I think that really defines character. And uh, we're we're missing a lot of that in our politics today. And uh, I think the lesson here is do not give Ivanka Trump a nuclear weapon. 
Please don't get a fucking triple <laughs> nuclear weapon. <laughs> Even though they're pushing for 2030, whatever, for her to be running. Uh, her dad is enough. So. so so next week, we're going to hear from you talking about why in America we work so damn hard and what that's all about. Um, and maybe we'll talk about, you know, maybe some some things about that, that we would like to do with this show and, and you know, ideas we, we'd like to pursue aside from politics, things we, you know, our, our interests, like mental health, trying to stay sane and calm. That's kind of uh, my, my Especially mission. Especially election year. That's my mission this year. I think we could um, benefit, a, you know, from just taking a little time for ourselves to, to, to reflect on our inner state and, and our mind-body connections. Because I feel like you can't take care of other people if you can't take care of yourself. No. That analogy of being on a plane always sticks out to me. But they... They say if the cabin loses pressure and the mask come down, put the mask on yourself before anyone mm-hmm. else. Yeah. And I think we need to do that for ourselves. It, it says a lot about who we are, where we want to take care of each other, despite all our differences and flaws and and whatever ism you want to put behind any word we can think of. But at the end of the day, for us to be reminded that each time we even get on a plane speaks to some human dignity that we still have about one another. Mm-hmm. So, um, with that, I think that's know. a good note to end on. Well, our, I, we're, you're gonna you're gonna let us go with a quote uh, from some, from somebody we lost. Yeah, this, and this you know, month. this was a huge loss for um, the world, so to speak. You know, um, at the end of the day, he was a master of his craft, and to understand how truly hard it is to be a master of your craft, even. Though, the Beethovens and Mozarts and uh, Vincent Van Goghs to master her craft is not an easy thing to do and to have this gentleman gone taken away from us far far too soon is uh, has been pretty tragic and and the rest of the families the seven other individuals so we're talking about Kobe just in case you haven't picked up on that yes we are talking about Kobe Um, so what 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 words of Kobe's do you want to share with us you know Kobe left us with some words a few years ago and since we talked about politics today you know we we want to carry on that 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 kind of momentum of what Kobe had foresight wise and as a leader himself what's the quote Jeff a president whose name alone creates division and anger, whose words inspire dissension and hatred can't possibly make America great again. I agree. All right, we'll see you next week. All right, we'll see you next week, Tom.